It's Friday, February 25th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The Russian invasion of Ukraine continues as we see President Biden announce even stricter sanctions imposed on Russian banks and oligarchs, hoping to deter Putin from his mission. But things have progressed too much with reports of Ukrainian deaths, Russia capturing nuclear site Chernobyl, and worries of how far this can all go. We are even seeing reports of anti-war protests in Russia. Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill, joins us for the latest sanctions, the impact they might have, and the politics surrounding the invasion. Next, we'll tell you about the nocturnals, the ultra-introverts that prefer to go about their lives at night, relishing in the solitude and quiet. People that seek out this lifestyle by choice go against what many psychologists think is an important part of human interaction, and also against their own natural circadian rhythms. But some feel that the inconveniences of operating at night, or even the possible health effects, are acceptable trade-offs because it makes them happier and truer to themselves. Faith Hill, associate editor at The Atlantic, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Putin's aggression against Ukraine will end up costing Russia dearly, economically and strategically. We will make sure of that. Putin will be a pariah on the international stage. Joining us now is Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Thank you for having me. Well, everything that's going on right now with Ukraine and Russia is a huge mess. Russia has launched this full-scale invasion of the country. And I mean, they're hitting them on all sides of things. Uh, we're seeing bombs drop, missile launches, all sorts of stuff. We're already hearing that there's a lot of casualties. You know, we're, we're monitoring as as this goes. But the latest that we just saw was uh, President Biden announcing another round of sanctions. So Tuesday, he announced some sanctions. Thursday, he announced more. There are some officials in Ukraine that say we hope there could have been even more than that, something more severe. But Julia, tell us what President Biden said so far. Yeah, so essentially he is building upon the sanctions he originally announced on Tuesday. And President Biden did initially get some criticism earlier this week from his critics who essentially said, this is too little, too late. These sanctions should be harsher and this should have happened earlier. However, the White House was very much saying they were saving the next set of sanctions, assuming Putin made another move and he has made an additional move. And we are now in what appears to be a full scale invasion in Ukraine. So President Biden very much continuing to target these Russian oligarchs, the Russian banking system. However, when asked whether he would target and sanction President Putin directly, he did not answer that directly. And when asked about the swift international banking system and kicking Russia off of that, Biden has said all of these options are still on the table. However, he is not yet implementing yeah those particularly harsh sanctions. So Russia will be hit pretty hard economically by this, you know, especially when it comes to trading oil, for example, natural gas. They'll only really have China at this point to trade with. So they, they will be hit hard. However, Biden also talked about how the U.S. would likely be hit hard, like so many Western nations, because of this issue 
of oil and natural gas. Gas prices will likely continue to go up in the West because of these, what's happening and the sanctions. Yeah. And that's the balance that they're trying to strike here with all of that. You know, President Biden said Putin is the aggressor. He chose this war and now his country will bear the consequences. But, you know, you mentioned this uh, 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 worldwide banking transfer system, SWIFT, where banks across the world transfer money between them. Taking Russia out of that will definitely hit them really hard, but it'll affect other countries as well. And he mentioned that our European allies aren't ready to go that far yet. So when we talk about limiting the impact to Americans when it comes to oil and energy prices and other you know, European allies that we're all in conjunction with on this, you know, that's kind of that nuclear option, so to speak, taking them out of that swift banking system. So not completely there just yet. And one thing I wanted to also mention is that President Biden is constantly mentioning how this is being done with all of our allies, especially when it comes to like troops and things like that. He, you know, we're sending more troops to other European countries. He's saying, stressing, we're not sending troops into Ukraine. We're not going to fight Russia directly on this. Yeah, absolutely. And he's trying to very much avoid saying the U.S. will fight Russia directly or even having that scenario play out in the first place. Remember, Biden is still facing criticism for the very botched and chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan less than a year ago. We are still seeing that in Afghanistan, they are very much suffering the consequences of that withdrawal. So I think the Biden administration has to tread very carefully on that front. Additionally, there just is not a big appetite in the United States to be involved in yet another foreign conflict in the years after the Iraq war wrapped up, as well as the U.S. presence in Afghanistan. And we have to remember, it is a midterm election year here in the United States. And while we like to think our government officials are obviously trying to do goodwill and trying to help you know, other uh, countries around the world and try to uh, make things easier for us here in the United States as much as they can. There's always a political angle to this. And I believe probably that is in the back of the president's mind, in the back of many strategists' minds as well. How does this play out politically here in the United States? I know uh, President Biden is trying to be very strong on this issue. Vladimir Putin is not a popular person here. Unfortunately, we're hearing some things from former President Trump. It sounds like he might be praising him in certain things. He's really just doing it in service of saying, you know, this wouldn't have happened under my administration. But, you know, he's calling him a smart guy, things like that. But how is this playing out for us here domestically? Trump's comments when he said that do not, I think, re reflect what you're hearing most Republican officials say. I think Republican officials are very much pushing back against Putin, not praising him and very much condemning his actions. You've seen that from congressional leaders, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy today. But you're you're seeing Republicans essentially say that Biden has not been tough enough on Putin, that these sanctions should have been leveled last summer or way before now in the 11th hour, essentially. At the same time, though, I think there is this somewhat unifying factor, and I say somewhat because it's not a big one here in the partisan United States, that Russia is a common enemy and that Ukraine is a friend to the United States. And there's obviously uh, NATO is very popular, obviously, in the United States with the U.S. playing a major role in that organization. And, you know, the big question overall, right, sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. Are they even effective? You just hear Putin doesn't care about these things. They've been making kind of arrangements to survive any sanctions they were going to be imposed on them. How long will the invasion of Ukraine last? 
if it's not very protracted, how effective will those sanctions be? So, I mean, that's kind of that big lingering question is it's still, you know, is it enough? It's a good question. And I think a lot of it depends on the few allies that Russia has left right now, including China. And we have seen China suggest, or it seems like there have been signs pointing up that China does not think a full-scale war in Ukraine would be best for its own political interests um, or geopolitical interests. Remember, when the West struggles and we're seeing rising prices, that could hurt China too as well. They don't want to have to deal with economic instability. And we saw that Biden very um, interestingly said at his press conference today that he was not ready to comment on whether he was pushing China to isolate Russia. So I thought that was a very interesting dynamic that's playing out. Um, in terms of whether these will hurt the Russians, I mean, look, it, it depends on you know whether China is supporting them because at this point, you know, if they're not able to trade with other countries, if they're not able to reap the economic benefits of global trade and exchange, that's going to hurt Russia, especially during a time where Russians are still dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, for example. However, we don't know how how quickly it will impact them. We know that Putin has been putting out messages saying that the oligarchs in the country need to do their patriotic duty and prepare to really hunker down. But, you know, maybe this could change if Biden were to directly sanction Putin or, for example, were to kick out, you know, Russian students from the U.S. or kick out the Russian ambassador to the United States. He has not gone that far yet. However, I'm sure if he did, that would change the dynamics. Well, there's a lot going on. The world is watching what's happening right now. We've seen casualties. We've seen the violence already. It seems like it's going to continue. And the big question is how long and, and hopefully it ends pretty soon. Julia Manchester, national political reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. And, and I know there's been a lot of concern about loneliness in the recent past as sort of a public health issue. But yes, these people seem to kind of challenge that. You know, they really, some of them really spend most of their time alone and don't get right. much interaction at all. And, and they told me they were happy with that. Joining us now is Faith Hill, associate editor at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us, Faith. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I want to talk about this interesting article you wrote up of uh, people that you've dubbed the nocturnal. So these are some ultra introverts, people that really enjoy going about their lives at night. They like the solitude of it as part of it. They like not being in the busy daily work life. And, you know, sometimes people are just exhausted with other people. So all of these folks really enjoy, uh, uh, you know, being active at nighttime. And it kind of goes contrary to something we've been told about by psychologists for a long time, this uh, you know need for social interaction. So, Faith, tell us a little bit about the people you spoke with, and then we'll get into all sorts of other things about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I talk to people who live nocturnally specifically because they want the peace and the quiet that comes with being awake when most people are asleep. So these people told me about this kind of, you know, magical parallel universe almost that they, they live in and they do their shopping in uh, empty 24-hour stores and totally avoid lines and crowds and they really just bask in the solitude. And, you know, they've really sought out this lifestyle, particularly because they wanted more solitude. They didn't want to be around people so much. And it really 
intrigued me because yeah. I've always kind of assumed that social connection is this very core innate human need. And, and I know there's been a lot of concern about loneliness in the recent past as a, sort of a public health issue. But yes, these people seem to kind of challenge that. You know, they really, some of them really spend most of their time alone and don't get right. much interaction at all. And, and they told me they were happy with that. Uh, you mentioned loneliness, right? So throughout the pandemic, especially early on with lockdowns and stuff, that was a huge issue. And, and you know, a lot of people did need some mental health support because of that. But, you know, on the face of it, it seems like it could be really cool, you know, uh, you know, not have to deal with so much other people, get all your stuff done in peace and quiet and everything. And for myself, I just, uh, you know, reading through this article, I, I just, I'm not that type of person. I, I don't think I could do it for long stretches of time, but to the point of the article, right? Th these people prefer it. They want this to be their whole life model. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think it's important to state that it's, I think it's probably pretty rare. It's not that this is very common, but yeah. it is I think it suggests that people are really different. And I think there is a problem of social isolation. And for most people, that is not healthy to not get regular social connection. But for some people, you know, it, they really don't need as much social connection as we would think. Yeah, let's talk about that. You know, obviously, you mentioned it too, right? And you put it in the article. This is not everybody. There are some that are forced to live this life, you know, because they work nighttime jobs, things like that. These people are seeking this out. But tell me about what mm -hmm. psychologists do say when it comes to that need for social interaction and how it's important, because it could even affect uh, even uh, beyond that need for social interaction, just going against the grain, going against the circadian rhythm, right? The the kind of body's penchant for wanting to be awake during daylight hours, that could cause a lot of problems, health problems for people too. Yes, that's right. Um, I mean, most people, you know, sort of naturally follow a similar circadian rhythm and disrupting that, uh, there's plenty of research that that can be really bad for your health. You know, there's associated with increased risk of type 2 diabetes and heart disease and cancer, and it can really not be good for your health. And some of the nocturnal people I talked to were kind of forcing themselves into a schedule that really did tire them out. And, you know, they were very intentional about sort of using blackout curtains and white noise machines and trying to get the best sleep they could. But, you know, I think at least for some of them, it, it's sort of a sacrifice that they were making. And then, and yeah, with sort of the impacts of, you know, social isolation on, on mental health, that's very real too. There is a lot of research that for most people, there are very real effects of loneliness on, you know, our physical health right down to the cellular level. So, you know, it is a real thing. But I think where the question kind of comes in is sort of how universal that need is for social connection. And there's a long history in psychology of talking about so-called universal human needs. You know, a lot of people will have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the basic assumption is that there's a, you know, set of some really fundamental needs that all humans share. And I think it's a very appealing idea, of course, that, you know, despite all of our differences, we're the same on some fundamental level. But when I talked to psychologists about these nocturnal people, some of them did think that it might be possible for some people to be highly isolated and also living a fulfilling life. Uh, one of them said he thinks there are some people who are so low in the need for social connection that it basically doesn't exist for them. Right. You, you, um, you sp there was a, a specific person that you were speaking to really said that it made them happier and it helped them be more mm -hmm. who they wanted to be, like a, more truer to themselves as a person. 
a lot of the people I talked to described it in a really similar way, you know, similar to each other. They, um, you know, kind of described having tried for many, many years to sort of go against, you know, the natural current of what they felt they wanted. Like, it seemed like everyone else, you know, wanted to be around people. And they just never did and didn't understand why they felt that way. And they had a lot of guilt about it and tried to fight it for a really long time. And then, you know, a lot of different people kind of described this moment in their life where they realized that they could avoid it. Some of them, you know, started doing night shifts for other reasons and then realized it made them a lot happier. And, you know, then it was kind of this revolution for them that they realized they could live how they wanted to live in the nighttime that really gave them the solitude that they had always wanted. Now, uh, you know, obviously a lot of these people were, you know, getting rid of the hustle and bustle and not having to interact with coworkers and things like that. You know, that could be pretty desirable for a lot of people, but what about close personal relationships where, I mean, were any of the people that you spoke to married or had boyfriends and girlfriends, things like that, that, that I could see being a troublesome aspect of life, right? If you want to be the nighttime person and maybe the other person isn't like that, or they just don't have the luxury because of work and things like that. I talked to a variation of people, you know, there was kind of the people I spoke to fell along a spectrum and some of them um, were married and, you know, they were married to people who weren't living nocturnally. And that really surprised me to hear about, but they seemed to make it work. You know, it could be hard. One person I talked to had sort of an ongoing conversation with their partner about how to to figure this out together and, um, you know, trying to explain why so much solitude was needed. But it did seem like those people that I talked to who, you know, sort of did have have some people in their life, um, including spouses, that it was just an understanding that needed to be achieved between both of them, that there was not going to be as much time spent together as normal. It was just not going to happen. And sort of there were compromises made. And then for some people I talked to, they really were loners more than those people and spent most of their time alone and had lived really intentionally to make it that way, you know, had sort of lost touch with friends or turned down sort of potential romantic partners. And they said they didn't regret it. Yeah, it's it's so tough. You know, I, reading through this, as I mentioned, you know, you look to yourself and kind of think, could I do something? Do I want something like this? And, you know, working a few overnight shifts here and there in my lifetime, I could not. I did not enjoy that, right? But that's that's for me, and everybody yeah. is different. So with all these people that you spoke to, what is their ultimate goal? Is it to retreat, to be isolated? Do they just like want to live their life at night? I, I know one person you mentioned, he says he wants to retire to a little ranch somewhere. Uh, he wants peace, <laughs> quiet, and dark. You know, he, that's, that's his goal. A lot of the people I talk to really do just kind of want to be left alone. You know, I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand, but they really just feel happier being alone and having their peace and quiet. And a lot of them talked about associating that with the sense of freedom that, you know, they had kind of tried to live like everyone else lived. But in the nighttime, they have, you know, a sense they feel free to be who they want to be and just to, you know, be able to focus. And I think, you know, a lot of them are really just trying to hold on to that as much going forward or have more of it. And for them, it's sort of, you know, a sense of control over their life if they can achieve that. Faith Hill, Associate Editor at The Atlantic. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's it for today. 
Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.